सहनावतो सहनो भुनक्तो सह वीर्यम करवाहै तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तु मृषा वहै ओ शाति 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 हरि ओ So we are back again. We were doing verses 13 and 14. That's what we did last time. Let's just repeat those two verses again. 13. Shakti dvayam hi maya ya. Shakti dvayam hi maya ya. Vikshepavriti rupakam. विक्षेपशक्तिर्लिंगादी ब्रह्मांडा जगत्सृजेत सृष्टिर्नाम ब्रह्मे सच्चिदानंदवस्तुनी We saw last time that the power called Maya is responsible for projecting Brahman as this universe. We saw last time that maya has two two powers maya has two powers or two functions the two powers are the power of veiling and the power of projecting first we consider the power of projecting vikshepa shakti the second one was the power of veiling avarana shakti and i mentioned last time that there is nothing very mysterious about this nothing very um, metaphysical about this it is what happens every time we make an error every time we commit a mistake there are two things at play one is we do not know the truth and the second one is we take the reality for something else consider when we mistake a rope for a snake the classic vedantic example two things are at play one ignorance we are unaware 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 that it is a rope that's number one and number two we now mistake that rope for a snake so there is ignorance and there is error we do not know the reality the rope and we make a mistake we think it's a we imagine it to be and we actually feel that we are seeing a snake and what they are claiming here is exactly the same thing is happening brahman alone exists god alone exists and we make a mistake we we first of all are unaware of that though we may read about it we may hear about it we may even believe it we may have faith but still we do not know it 
We have not realized it. It's not a living reality for us. So this is the ignorance part of it. And the other part of it is error. Not knowing the reality, not knowing God, not knowing Brahman, we now make a mistake. What's the mistake? The mistake is we see this world. We experience what we are experiencing right now. So it is the power of Maya which projects this universe. When it projects the universe, it projects two kinds of things. Two kinds of creation are there. One is called gross matter. The other one is called subtle matter. Gross and subtle. Stula, sukshma. Gross matter, what we see all around us, what we experience in this world. And what is this subtle matter? That which, out of which our subtle bodies are created. What is this subtle body? The subtle body is not a very slim body. <laughs> I don't know if I should say this. Uh, I was in um, Kansas and I was uh, then again in St. Louis and somebody told me, look, we are all very ordinary folk here, not like your fancy California people. We like our food, food and you will see a lot of us are uh, overweight and we are not ashamed of, of it, unlike your fancy California folk, you know. <laughs> um, so that's not a subtle body. The subtle body is what we feel inside us right now. Our thoughts, our memories, our emotions, that's called the mind. Our knowledge, understanding, identification, sense of agency, that's called the buddhi. The, the intellect and the f life forces surging through our body we breathe our blood circulates we assimilate we are hungry we eat food and assimilate food and turn it into the physical matter of this body so those life forces are also part of our subtle body technically speaking the subtle body which the word used here is linga sharira Subtle body, another name is sukshma sharira. Sharira means body, sukshma means subtle, so subtle body. Technically speaking, this subtle body has three components. I just mentioned it because it's an introduction to Vedanta course, so we should know the terms. The subtle body has three components. One is the pranamaya kosha, the sheet of the vital forces, pranamaya. Prana means vital forces. That's life. So life is part of the subtle body. The second one is Manomaya Kosha, the mind, it includes thoughts, emotions, memories, everything, even the sense of ego, I, the mind. And the third part is the Vijnanamaya Kosha, the sheath of understanding or intellect, knowledge, understanding. So these are the components of the subtle body and they are created by the power of Maya. Maya creates both gross bodies, not just the physical bodies, but the entire universe. Planets, you know, the, the, the earth and the oceans and, this, and the air and stars and galaxies and atoms and quarks, and all of that, the gross matter is created by Maya, the projecting power of Maya. And the other thing that it creates is the subtle matter out of which our subtle bodies are created. Now what happens is this. This gross matter, which we see all around us, 
it exists and it borrows existence from Brahman. I'm going somewhere with this, so you must follow me carefully. It borrows existence from Brahman. What borrows existence from Brahman? This universe. What do you mean by borrowing existence? Nothing fancy, nothing very, very difficult. What I mean is simply like if I say, this table borrows existence from the wood. The waves in the ocean out there, they borrow their existence from the water. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, the existence of the wood is the existence of this table. If the wood were not here, the table wouldn't be here. If the water was not there, the, the waves wouldn't be there. So, though we call it a table, in reality, the existence of the wood is the existence of the table. You weigh the wood, it will be the weight of the table. You make the wood into a table, it will not weigh one gram more, one pound more. So what is real here is the wood. What is real in the wave is the water. What is real in the ornament is the gold. So the ornament gets its existence from the gold. The wave from water and the table from wood. In the same way, there is something called Brahman from which this entire world we experience derives its existence. So the world of gross matter borrows existence from Brahman. The technical term is Sat, pure existence, Brahman. <coughs> and the world here has got derived existence, <coughs> borrowed existence. One point, the world borrows existence from Brahman. The existence of the world is the existence of Brahman. The second point I would like to make here is, the subtle body, our minds, intellects and the life forces within us, they also exist. Of course our minds exist, of course our life exists, so we live, that's why. So their existence is also borrowed from Brahman. But they also borrow consciousness from Brahman. Here is a point I want to, something I want to point out that there is something special about the subtle bodies. They borrow consciousness from Brahman, not only existence. So not only are our minds existing, not only do our thoughts exist, our emotions exist, our perceptions exist, memories exist, our egotism, not only does it exist, it borrows existence from Brahman, but it also we experience it as conscious, aware, sentient. So, to repeat again, the, everything borrows existence from Brahman. Everything appears to exist because of Brahman. And among everything that exists, there is a special category of things which exist called subtle bodies, our minds, which borrow not only existence but consciousness from Brahman. So the Sat, the existence aspect of Brahman is reflected everywhere as the existence of this universe. The chit, the consciousness aspect of Brahman, is reflected as the borrowed consciousness, as the consciousness we feel just now. Where do we feel it? When you're looking at me, you feel conscious. It's a conscious act of looking. When you hear, it's conscious. When you think, it's conscious. So this consciousness is borrowed from Brahman. This is the point I want to make before we go into the next verse. Let me introduce a couple of terms here, technical terms. The terms are pramata, prameya. Pramata means knower. 
Pramata is a Sanskrit word meaning knower. And Prameya means, is a Sanskrit word meaning known, that which is known. That which is known. Why have I introduced these terms? Because of these reasons. Thank you, Mataji. The consciousness within us, in our minds. I'll give you an example. Why is it that, uh, what do I mean by borrowing consciousness? You see, um, this entire world, let me give you the example of reflecting sunlight. This entire world, the physical world out there in daytime, you'd find every surface reflects sunlight. But only there are some special surfaces, like the surface of, of, uh, of glass, or a polished steel plate, or a pool, where which not only reflects sunlight, but also forms a little image of a, su of a sun. You will find in a water droplet, in water, or in glass, you will find a reflection. Not only does it reflect sunlight, but an image of the sun is formed there. In the same way, entire universe borrows not existence from Brahman, and our minds borrow existence plus consciousness. A little image of consciousness is formed in our minds. That's what illumines our minds right now, the experience which we are having. So now, our minds become knowers. Pramata. Pramata, knower. Prameya, known. Our minds become knowers. The consciousness in our minds is utilized to see, to hear, to smell, to touch, to think, to remember, to understand. So we become knowers, our minds become knowers, pramata, utilizing the consciousness borrowed from Brahman. And the entire external world, the world which we experience, it borrows only existence from Brahman, not consciousness. So these things are not knowers, they are known, prameyam, prameyam. Two categories of things, knower and known. Pramata, prameya. Pramata, we. You are a pramata, he is a pramata, she is a pramata, I am a pramata. What is happening here? Pure consciousness, the sakshi, the witness which we um, talked about so far in our class, which we isolated with the help of Drig Drishya Viveka. That pure consciousness reflected in the mind gives rise to the mind, a conscious mind, which borrows consciousness from Sakshi or Brahman, the same thing, and becomes a knower. And the world becomes the known. So we are knowers and the world is the known. With this background, let us proceed. Fifteenth verse. Antar drigdrishya yor bhedam Bahishya Brahma Sargayo Avrinotya Parashakti Sasam Sarasya Karanam Right. Now we are in a position to understand this. What has happened is this 
the, the projecting power of Maya projects Brahman as the external world and projects us, the, the witness within, as the knower. The world is projected upon Brahman and Brahman appears to us because of Maya as Prameyam, the known, these names and forms. And we appear as Pramata. Brahman within, the Sakshi, pure consciousness within, appears as Pramata, the knower. And what happens is, the distinction between the name and form world, the Prameyam, and its reality which is Brahman, that distinction is obscured. It's not clear. What we see is a world of knowables. There are things to be known and experienced in the world. Brahman is nowhere in sight. And when we look at ourselves, what we see is a pramata, a knower, an experiencer, an individual experiencing things in the world. And the witness, the drashta, which we had sp spoken about so far till today, that is nowhere in sight. So what has happened is, now the veiling power of Maya comes into play. Brahman, which is projected as Prameyam, the knowable universe. The knowable universe and Brahman, which is the reality behind the knowable universe. The difference between the two is obscured and it appears as only the universe. And within what happens is, pure consciousness reflected on the subtle matter, the subtle bodies, our minds, intellects, uh, the living, uh, the life forces, pure consciousness reflected in our minds, the pramata. Now, the pramata and the pure consciousness, the witness, the witness and the pramata, the difference between the two are, are obscured and what we see only, we experience ourselves only as pramata. The witness in itself is nowhere in sight. That is what this verse is telling us. Inside us, I, the pure consciousness, I am obscured. It's not that I'm not there. I am there, but it's not distinct. It's not clear. What appears to me is an individual who is a knower, an experiencer, a person who knows things, does things, experiences things, is happy or sad, a limited individual. And outside in the world, which is veritably Brahman itself, existence, consciousness, bliss, Maya, the projecting power of Maya, has pulled a network of names and forms over it. And those names and forms have derived existence from Brahman, just as this table derives existence from the wood. And the names and forms, and the Brahman, the existence, pure existence, which is the ground of those names and forms, the distinction between the two has been obscured by the obscuring power of Maya, Avarana Shakti. As a result, what we see is an existing universe. Existence belongs to Brahman. Universe is just name and form, but we do not see it separately. We see an existing universe out there. Consciousness belongs to you or me as the witness, as the pure consciousness. And that, that is projected as a subtle body by the power, projecting power of Maya. But we do not experience ourselves like that. What we experience ourselves as is a, a conscious mind. Consciousness, witness. Mind, subtle body. But we do not experience that way. We experience as a conscious mind. So the distinction between the knower, pramata, and sakshi, witness, insight. The distinction between Brahman 
and the world of names and forms, this distinction is obscured by the power of Maya. I know what some people have a quizzical expression in their face and the question might be, isn't it that the Brahman is obscured by Maya? No. Brahman cannot be hidden. Brahman cannot be hidden. The difference between Brahman and the world outside is obscured by Maya. The difference between Brahman or Sakshi inside and the mind is obscured by Maya. It's like when we see the snake, when we see the snake by mistake, is the rope obscured or not? Is the rope hidden or not? Well, actually speaking, the rope is not hidden. It is the rope that we are seeing. And in some aspects of the snake, the rope is quite evident. The shape of the snake, the length of the snake, it belongs to the rope. But the species of the snake and the poison of the snake, they belong entirely to the projected snake. It's not there at all. So we are, it's mixed up. What we see is a mixed up reality. In the same way, we see a mixed up reality. More of this later on. It will come later. If it's a mixed up reality, can we separate Brahman in our experience from the world? We are experiencing the world here. Can we separate God and, and the world in our experience? Outside and inside, within us. Can we do that? They will say yes and they will show us how to do it. This is just setting this uh, stage. Now, one more point. The obscuring power of, Brahm, of Maya, Avarana Shakti, is the cause of all our problems. You would think that the projecting power is the cause of our problems. The projecting power is not the cause of our problems. Brahman is projected as this world, no problem. Brahman is projected as body and mind, no problem. The real problem is the veiling power by which we lose sight of the fact that we are existence consciousness bliss. Sri Ramakrishna says that some, some call this world uh, a fraud and a deceit, an illusion, a fraud and a deceit. And he says, I call it a mansion of delight. Majar Kuti. Sri Ramakrishna uses the word of Maja. Maja is a Bengali word. It means fun, but um, a kind of a very intense, uh, elevated fun. That's what Sri Ramakrishna means at least. I remember more than a decade ago, one of the most brilliant living Indian philosophers today, uh, Arindam Chakravarti, who works in uh, University of Hawaii. He gave a whole talk, more than an hour, on this word, Sri Ramakrishna's use of the word maja. Maja means fun, but a kind of holy fun, a kind of sacred fun. So Sri Ramakrishna says, the world is Mojar Kuti, a mansion of delight. When is it a mansion of delight? When you realize the truth. When you realize that you are existence consciousness bliss. When you realize that you are Brahman. When you realize that the world is Brahman. When you realize, when you realize outside it is all Brahman. When you realize inside you are Brahman. When you realize this, then it becomes a mansion of delight. Otherwise it's a horror story. Otherwise... The question will arise, if God exists, why is there so much suffering? Every religion has to answer this question. It's called the problem of evil. If the, anybody who comes to religion will very quickly first ask this question. So if all this is true, why is there so much suffering in the world? And it's true. As long as we are in this framework of Maya, the veiling power is active. This world appears to be horrible. 
So much suffering, inexplicable. So, when we had that spiritual insight, I, I remember one of the devotees to whose house Sri Ramakrishna had gone, he was asking again and again, why is there so much suffering in the world? Why is there so much suffering in the world? And Sri Ramakrishna gives one explanation after another, and none of them seem to satisfy the devotee. Uh, he says, first of all, um, it, is the, it is the Lord's wish, can we understand? It's God's wish, can we understand? And the devotee is not satisfied. Then Sri Ramakrishna trots out one more theory, one more explanation. He says, uh, it is his Leela, it is the play of the Lord, the, the Leela, divine play of the Lord. And the devotee now is mad. He says in Bengali, Tarto Leela, Ramra Mori. It is his play, but we are dying. It's death for us. We suffer. It's like the little kid on the, the neighbor's kid who hits a baseball into a yard and shatters your uh, light, your lawn light or something. And if you catch that little guy, he says, it's my Leela, it's my play. You know? <laughs> that is not going to cut any ice with you. In the same way, if God says, death and disease and, and injustice and, um, and so many horrible things in this world, it's just my play. Well, uh, we, are not, we are not very happy with that explanation. So the devotee says to Sri Ramakrishna, it's his play, but it is death for us. And Sri Ramakrishna then gives this answer, which is very interesting. He says just two words for which the devotee has no comeback. He says, Artumike, who are you? It's death for us, he says. And Sri Ramakrishna comes back with, and who are you? Who are you? Do you really know who you are? It's like we are in Hollywood. So, as an example which I gave, that uh, there is so much horror in the movies, you know. Um, there are massacres and terrorism and violence and so many horrible things which are shown in the movies. And instead of being horrified by all, all that, instead of being disturbed by all that, you enjoy it. And you give those guys an Oscar. Because, because you know the reality. You know the reality. First of all, you are completely safe. We are all safe from the horror on the screen. It's not, a re it's not, it's not real. And you know the reality behind it. Then that horror becomes something that you can actually even enjoy. So, it's realizing God, the avarna shakti, the power which hides God from our sights, that is the cause of all our problems. Now if you look at the verse, it will be clear. What does it mean? Inside us, the difference between the witness and the knower, pramata. Technical meaning of pramata, the consciousness reflected in the mind becomes a knower, pramata. The difference between the witness and the pramata, obscured by the obscuring power of maya. Externally, bahishya, externally in the world outside, the difference between Brahman, pure existence, and the world of names and forms which borrows existence from that pure existence. The difference between the two is obscured by the obscuring power of Maya. Avrinoti Aparashakti. The second power of Maya, the other power of Maya, which is the obscuring power, Avrinoti hides. Hides. 
obscures. And then he says the crucial point, sa samsarasya karanam, that particular power of maya is the cause of our samsara. All our problems stem from that obscuration of our truth, of what we are actually, of what we are and what the world is. What are we? The pure, unchanging, immortal consciousness. As Shankaracharya sings, Chidananda Rupaha Shivoham Shivoham. I am existence, consciousness, bliss. I am Shiva. I am Shiva. Not just Shankara. All of us. All the time. We are. We do not become existence, consciousness, bliss after enlightenment. We are that right now. All of us. It's just obscured from us. And what is this world? It is veritably God himself. Brahman. Obscured from our sight by the power of Maya, by the by the veiling power of Maya. Now what happens? Sixteen. Sakshina purato bhati. Lingam dehena sanyutam. Chitichaya samaveshat. Jeevasyadvyavaharika. The witness consciousness. What shines in front of the witness consciousness in close proximity? The subtle body. The mind, intellect, memory that comes up. As we wake up in the morning. As we come into... Uh, the waking state. What appears? First, our mind, with all the memories, with all our identity and our problems, it all comes up. And we are aware, okay, I have to get ready and go to office or some place or grab that cup of coffee or whatever. And all of that comes from the mind. So, in front of the Sakshi, in close proximity to us, the pure consciousness, shines the mind and the mind is connected with the body you see all the states the waking dreaming and deep sleep do not belong to the witness consciousness they belong to the mind we if you remember a few verses back we read the explanation of the three states we experience what is this waking what is this dreaming what is this deep sleep it is the mind which is when it's fully active we experience waking when the mind goes into a drowsy, semi-active state, we dream. And the, when the mind shuts down temporarily, we have deep sleep. So deep sleep, dream and waking belong to the mind, not to you, the pure consciousness. The pure consciousness just illumines the three states. The waking state, the dream state and the deep sleep state. And when the mind comes up in front of pure consciousness, what does the subtle body do? As I said earlier, it borrows consciousness. Pure consciousness is reflected in the mind. The mind gets consciousness. And he says, the mind is connected, the subtle body is connected to the gross body. So it transfers consciousness to the gross body. And we feel up to the fingertips that we are conscious beings. Here we are. So we become identified, consciousness becomes identified with the mind first and through the mind 
through the nervous system, the entire physical body. And we feel consciousness spreading up to the tips of our fingers, as Upanishad says, anakagrat, up to the tips of our nails. We feel, feel that we exist. <coughs> this is who I am. Now we can understand this verse. Sakshinaf purato bhati. In close proximity to the witness consciousness. Bhati shines. What shines? Lingam. Lingam here means sukshma shadiram, the subtle body. And this subtle body is connected to our gross body. So the gross body with the subtle body, the subtle body with the gross body attached to it shines. Shine. Why do we say shines? It shines in, the, in your light, in the light of pure consciousness. Then what happens? Chiti chaya samaveshat. You, the pure consciousness, you are reflected in the mind. The mind which is material, subtle matter, nevertheless it's material. It gets illumined, it shines, becomes live. Like a machine becomes live when electricity flows through it. It becomes live when you are reflected. You, the pure consciousness, you are reflected in the mind. And then what happens? Jeevasyad Vyavaharika. The transactional individual is thus born. Transactional individual, the one who deals with this world. At that moment when we wake up, just today when I was coming, I, I just came from St. Louis to in the morning today, and the monk who dropped me off at the airport, he's just talking about the experience we have of... Um, of a simple eye, sometimes we have this experience when we suddenly wake up, maybe from deep sleep, we suddenly wake up and for a moment we do not know where we are. We do not even know for a moment who we are, where we are, what time is it? Is it a day? Is it, a, uh, is it night? Is it afternoon? What exactly are we? Who are we? The famous French writer Marcel Proust he had away with words, of course. So he puts it so beautifully that sometimes we wake up in a panic and the, our identity, memories, they seem to be just out of our reach. We know we are somebody, but exactly who we are for just for a moment or two, it's out of our reach. He says, he describes it beautifully, like a circle of fire around us. And very quickly it descends upon us and we become, we know, all right, I am so and so, this is, morning or evening, I've woken up, I am, this is my identity, I have got these things to do. These are things which I want to achieve, these are my problems, this is my identity. So this is called a Vyavaharika Jiva, transactional individual. So this is how the transactional individual is born. The I sense in the transactional individual, it refers to the body and mind. And we get identified with that eye sense. The, the consciousness, pure consciousness gets identified with the eye sense. And that's how we feel, I am Swami Sarvapriyananda, Mr. So-and-so or Mrs. So-and-so. That's what's going to happen next. Seventeenth. Asya jivatvam aropat. Sakshinyapyavabhasate Avritautu vinashtayam Bhede bhate apayati tat Bhede bhate apayati tat 
Now, this individual, which is thus created, what is this individual? You, the pure consciousness. And remember, when I say you, the pure consciousness, I'm not making any wild claim. It's exactly, I'm just repeating the first verse which we did. Drik Drishya Viveka, the first verse. How we saw that we are the witness of the body and mind. That pure consciousness reflected in the mind makes the mind and the body a pramata, a knower. Another name for this pramata, the knower, is jiva, the individual being. Who is this individual being? You, me, right now, what we, we think ourselves to be. And now the remarkable thing that happens is, this individual being is superimposed, it covers up, we misidentify it with the pure consciousness. What we are existence consciousness bliss that is obscure and this, this little individual who comes up in front of pure consciousness, we, as if pure consciousness has forgotten itself and becomes limited to identified with that little individual. And now says, I am Swami Sarvapriyananda. The jiva is super, technically speaking, the jiva is superimposed upon pure consciousness. What is superimposed? It's the error, mistaking the rope for a snake. Mistaking the rope for a snake. We mistake ourselves, pure consciousness, for the jiva who shines in front of pure consciousness, who shines in our light. So, jivatvam. Jivatvam, jivatvam means individuality. Belongs to whom? The individual. The pramata, the knower, the body-mind system. It belongs to that individuality. That individuality is superimposed upon the infinitude which we are. The infinitude is forgotten, infinite consciousness, and the, the in individual consciousness alone seems to be there. So he says, Asya Jivatvam, the individuality of that little, little creature, body-mind creature shining in your consciousness. Sakshini api avabhasate, the sakshi, the witness, what is the true nature of the witness? Not individual, it is infinite, it is Brahman. The true nature of the witness, Sakshi is Brahman. But now what is appearing there? Jivatvam, individuality. Not infinitude, Jivatvam. Not unlimitedness, limitedness. Entire limitedness belongs to the body. What is born? Body. What ages? What gets disease? The body. What has happiness or misery? The mind. All of that is now superimposed upon the light which, were, which is shining upon it, upon the infinite consciousness which we are. So the jivatvam is superimposed on the sakshi. What is the true nature of sakshi, the witness? Brahmatvam. Existence consciousness bliss. And what does it appear to be? Jiva, individual, the limited individual destined to be born and to suffer and to struggle in life and to pass away without any resolution of the of you know this whole idea of life. You have a question? Yes. Would the witness be able to exist if there was nothing to witness? Ah. What we are saying here is just the opposite of that. We are saying that which is witnessed cannot exist without the witness. The witness would exist if there is nothing to be witnessed, it would just not be called a witness. It is like the light in this room illumines all of us. We are present here. 
But a little while ago we were not present here. It was still there. As long as we don't switch it off. When we leave this room, the light is no longer an illuminer in the sense that we are not there to be illumined. But is the light there or not? It's still there. Very much so. Exactly as it was earlier. Ah, nothing. It would be illumining the absence of the body and mind. The witness, when it, there are things to be witnessed, it's called a witness. And when there are things are not there, things are absent, it is the witness of the absence of things. It is the witness of the presence of things when in the waking state. It is the witness of presence of things when in the dream state. It is the witness of the absence of things when in the deep sleep state. It is the same witness. It is the same witness. Then uh, would you say that it is a less of an existence because the whole world disappears well. The, as we, have, uh, we are studying here, the entire world borrows its existence from the witness, from Brahman. Without the table, would the wood be less of wood? No. The other way around, without the wood, the table wouldn't exist. Without the water, the wave wouldn't exist. Without the gold, the ornament wouldn't exist. The ornament, gold can exist in different forms. It can exist as an ornament, it can exist as a lump of gold or as a brick of gold. It can, water can exist as a calm ocean or an ocean in waves and surf and so on. That depends, the ocean, the waves depend on the water, not the other way around. The external world, the world which we think to be real, out there, its reality depends on you. All our experiences, happy, sad, desirable, undesirable, all of it, the consciousness is borrowed from you. So, that's what they are saying. The individuality is superimposed upon the infinitude which we are. And this superimposition is called Aropa, Adhyaropa, or there is a word which I would like all of us to remember, Adhyasa, superimposition, Adhyasa. Adhyasa means superimposition. Superimposition is just a fancy way of saying an error, a mistake. A mistake. We superimpose a snake on the rope or to put it very simply, we mistake the rope for a snake. It's an error. Why do we do that? Because we do not know the rope and then we make a mistake. We do not know ourselves as infinite consciousness. And this little body and mind appears in front of us. And the mind borrows consciousness from us and appears to be conscious. And we think we are this conscious body and mind. This is what is being claimed here. And they, can, they will show us actually how we can experience this. Not today. You've got to keep coming. It will come, it'll come later. I'll just make a point and get back to you. And he says, vinashtayam bhede bhati apayati tat. This in the limitation which we have imposed upon ourselves, that we are individual beings, how will it go? It will go only when we, dis, when we negate or destroy that obscuring power of Maya. The power which, which obscures the difference between the witness consciousness and the body-mind. When we, that becomes clear, then 
the, the, inf the limitation which we have imposed upon ourselves that we are a little person destined to be born and to suffer and to die, that will go away. That individual limitation and suffering will go away. And that, how will that happen? Through knowledge. How do we get that knowledge? It will come. The, the, we have been discussing it and it's going to come later. Um, I wanted to make a remar remark on Adhyasa, but I'll, I'll put that off for a little while. I'll respond to the question first. Yes. 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 Right. Let me just uh, respond to both of these. Um, first of all, Shankaracharya would like to, or Advaita Vedanta would like us to see that that we are consciousness, pure consciousness existence and yet we clearly feel ourselves to be limited bodies and minds then it would like us to see that this is because we are unable to distinguish the two we are unable to distinguish the two and therefore there must be something which is veiling something which is obscuring the difference between the two so that's the veiling power now why is this there if you ask Let's go even, uh, let's go further. Why is Maya there at all? Brahman could have just been, been happy by itself. Existence, consciousness, bliss. Well, the, as I said earlier, the projecting power is not a, not a problem. Brahman can freely appear in this world as long as it knows itself as Brahman and so it's not hurt by this world. So the veiling power is a real problem. Why is it there? Now the answer to this is, first of all, all this that we are doing here is, a, is what might be called a pedagogy, a methodology of teaching which enables us to walk out of this problem. It is not meant to be a final answer to the question. Final answer cannot be provided at this level. What they say is, in, in um, Vedanta, they make a distinction between what is called Siddhanta and Prakriya. Siddhanta means conclusion, the fundamentals of the philosophy. And Prakriya means a teaching methodology, a pedagogy, a teaching methodology. So, what is the conclusion? Brahman, existence, consciousness, bliss, without a second, alone exists. Alone is the reality. That's all. Nothing more. And what about all this? Drik, Drishya, the seer and the seen, Pramata and Prameya and veiling power and the obscuring power. It's all teaching you. Is it real? No. Ultimately what is real? Only Brahman is real. So this is the standard position. But I'll, I'll give you a hint. There's not enough time to work it out. I'll tell you why this question cannot be answered. If you say, why does Maya exist at all? Why does this world appear? Why does this world exist? The answer will be, well, the world does not exist. It's Brahman mistaken as the world. Well, you can ask, the, you can push the question further back, you know, like kids do. Why? You can ask why for everything. And, and you can, actually. So suppose you ask, why? Why does it appear? Granted, okay, suppose the world is not real. It only it's Brahman, it's God or whatever you call it. And it is appearing as this nasty world. Well, why does it have to appear? If you ask. Then they, they say that um, it's because of Maya. 
Well, when you can ask why, why is there Maya at all? Why? Then they say that, well, this question cannot be answered within Maya. Well, I can still ask, why can't it be answered within Maya? Why can't it be answered within Maya? I'll tell you why. This, just give you a hint why it cannot be answered. What is Maya? Maya is space-time causation. Now keep space and time apart for the time being. Look at causation. What is causation? Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Now when you ask why, when we ask why, anytime when we ask why, what are we asking for? Cause, exactly. Whenever we ask why, we are asking for a cause. Now, causation begins with Maya. So if you ask why, you are already assuming causation, you are already assuming Maya. And without Maya there is no causation, you can't ask why. It may not be psychologically satisfying, but it's logically satisfying. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, one remark about Adhyasa. Yeah, I'll come back to you. He just mentioned Asya Jeevatvam Aropat. The individuality is superimposed upon Sakshi, pure consciousness. Difference is obscured. When the veiling power is removed, the difference becomes clear. Now this superimposition of the individuality upon the infinite consciousness which we are, this is called adhyasa, the technical word he has just touched upon it here. It's a very crucial concept in Advaita Vedanta, adhyasa. It's exactly mistaking the rope for a snake. In, the, in terms like this is superimposing the snake on a rope. It's not, superimposition is not taking a real thing and putting it on another real thing. It's not taking a glass and putting it on the table. This is not superimposition. It's taking one real thing for something false. Shankaracharya calls it atasmin tadbuddhi. What is not there, we see it there. We take it to be what it is not. We take something to be what it is not. We take the rope to be a snake which it is not. We take Brahman to be the world which it is, it is not. We take the Brahman within us, the Sakshi, pure consciousness, Chidananda Rupa Shivoham to be this body and mind Swami so and so which it is not this is called Adhyasa superimposition and this is a central idea in Advaita Vedanta we will not have time to go into that maybe in other courses when you see uh, Shankaracharya begins the Brahma Sutras the core philosophical text of Vedanta he begins the Brahma, commentary on the Brahma Sutras. Shankaracharya begins the commentary on the Brahma Sutras with a very famous um, long sentence. We have to memorize it. And it, it is the classic, um, classic statement of superimposition. One of the greatest philosophers I know, living philosophers, Indian philosophers whom I know, who is... Uh, a master of both Indian philosophy and Western philosophy, who, who studied in Germany and mastered phenomenology, the philosophy of Husserl. This philosopher, he told me, Swami, in all the philosophical literature of the East and the West, I have not come across a more profound sentence than the opening sentence of the Brahma Sutra Bhashya of Shankaracharya. The first statement, the first sentence of the Brahma Sutra. And don't go rushing off to read it. You'll be disappointed. 
it's dry and technical and it requires a lot of explanation so i we will take it up when we if we ever if and when we take up brahma sutras but this is just hinted here how this infinite consciousness appears to be a limited body and mind it just hinted here all right there's a question Yes. Right. A non-duality. Yeah, a non-dual. Yeah. Right. Now I'm going to tell you some um, home truths. Stunning if you get what I'm hinting at, and no problem if you don't get it. All right. First of all, I've already hinted that there are pedagogies. So when Advaita Vedanta talks in dualistic terms about a borrower and something borrowed, you know that it's a pedagogy because ultimately it's leading you step by step to a non-duality which cannot be expressed in language. All right. Now, let's come to this experience part of it. I'm going to say a few things now. You mentioned a bhakta. You mentioned sankhya philosophy. You mentioned experience, and this is what we are doing now. Let us clearly try to understand what they are proposing. What is the practice they are proposing? What practical step are they telling us about? This must be appreciated. Otherwise, it will seem to be a philosophy which has to be put in practice somehow later on. See what a bhakta is told is: you take it on faith, God exists. Take it on faith. You begin with faith. You don't come to faith. You begin with faith. Unless you have faith, religion cannot start for you. You may struggle with it. You may have doubts once in a while. But as long as you have faith, you have religion. That's a devotee's approach. Somebody who worships and loves God, and that's perfectly all right. And in the hope that one day that person in this life or afterwards may get an experience. That's one devotee's approach. 
Let's take the Sankhya Yogi's approach. The Sankhya Yogi says, here is the horror movie of a world. It's a movie. The only way of getting out of it is to switch off the movie. Then you realize it's gone, it's not there. You're free of it. According to them, nature and consciousness, Prakriti and Purusha are distinct entities, but they have become mixed up somehow. And the ideal, the goal is to separate them. Sankhya and Yoga intend to separate Prakriti and Purusha. And Prakriti is real, out there. Somehow you have to step away from Prakriti. Then only you're free. Kaivalyam is separation from Prakriti. They propose something like, here is the horror movie going on. You switch it off, go into Nirvikalpa Samadhi, the world disappears from you. You remain in whatever pure consciousness state, the Purusha, the, the pure consciousness is, and you're free. What Advaita Vedanta tells you is, you don't have to switch off the movie. You can even enjoy the movie. You have to realize that it's a movie. To be free of the horror of the movie, all you need to do is not to switch off the movie. Then you have, you have lost the joy of the movie also. You have to realize the distinction between the screen on which the movie is being played and the pictures themselves. The pictures play on a screen. They are not the screen. The screen alone is real. The light alone is real. The rest of it is just pictures. How do you do that? You must be able to distinguish between the pictures and the screen. How do you distinguish between them? You don't have to do anything physical. You have to recognize that they are distinct. What Advaita Vedanta is proposing, not faith, not even an yogic experience, but an appreciation of the difference between appearance and reality which is right here. It's right here, right now. We are missing it. Look at this, the individuality which we have put upon pure consciousness. It's like somebody puts on a uniform and forgets that it's just a uniform, he can take it off. It was not there earlier, it's there now, it will not be there later. He forgets that. Now what the yogi tells him is, the Sankhya and the yogi tells him is, you take it off and tear it to shreds, and throw it away. It's not you, it's it, throw it away. And the Advaitin here is telling you, it's not you. Let it, you can put it on. There's no problem, use it. Let it be there. You don't have to throw it away. It's a nice uniform. Enjoy it. Here is the world. Here is a body with sense organs and all. Here is a mind. You are not it. You are using it. You are channeling yourself through it. You are always, even at this moment, you are independent from it. You don't have to believe it. You can actually see it, that you are independent. Because they are so subtly mixed up with each other, it's difficult to appreciate the fact. At every moment, our thoughts and consciousness appear to be one unit. Vedanta tells us, every time there are two units. They are two different things. There was a Swami in Uttarakhand. He was giving a talk on Vedanta. It was a big Vedanta conference. And uh, people, were, pundits and other Swamis were giving talks. And this Swami, uh, who has passed away now, he was presiding over the conference. The president has a big problem. 
president gets to speak at the end. So after a long conference full of Vedanta talks, people were bored and, you know, they were ready to go home and finally the presidential address and he finds people getting up and going away, uh, leaving. It's a big uh, tent like in, they have in India. So people are getting up and leaving. And he stands up and says, oh, I'm not going to give you any um, speech. I'll just show you Brahman. And those people are going away, they turn back and they come and sit down, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, show us, this is what we are here for. And he takes off the, the scarf which he had on his uh, shoulders, he shows it. What do you see? He says, we see a scarf, a piece of cloth. No. You see the light reflected of this piece of cloth which goes to your eyes. The distinction, there's a distinction between the cloth itself and the light which illumines it. In the same way, consciousness illumines everything in your life. You are that consciousness. When? All the time. Right now, right now. Before this, before this, and after this, also after this. All the time you are that unchanging light of consciousness which illumines people coming and going, time passing, the body aging, thoughts welling up in our minds, minds going to sleep, dreams coming up, dreamless blankness, the same consciousness illumines. And the body passing away and death coming, same consciousness illumines. Other worlds, newer bodies, other lives. The question about animals, I forgot to address that. Yes, animals too, Shankaracharya clearly mentions in the Brahma Sutra Bhashya. All living creatures, because in all living creatures, what is an animal after all? We can, ourselves now we can work it out according to the theory which we have got. Pure consciousness with a, living, with a mind, a subtle body and a gross body of an animal. That's an animal. It's the same pure consciousness. What we are is exactly there in the, uh, in, in, the, in the worm and in the cat and in the dog. Don't be insulted. Don't be insulted. Swami Vivekananda says, every worm is brother to the Nazarene. Avatar, the incarnation of God, Krishna, Rama, Jesus. And he says, the worm also is brother to the Nazarene. Why? Because the same pure consciousness shines through all of us. It's the same God which illumines all of us. There, the mind is absolutely restricted, unable to function because it's working through a tiny, uh, insufficient body. That's an animal. But the animal cannot, you're right, the animal cannot get this, it cannot attend a Vedanta class and uh, it can attend it but it will not realize it and unless some special grace is there. So, uh, okay, so uh, yes, that's the point I wanted to make about the animals. Um, so that's what the Swami said, we are this infinite consciousness. Alright, so we have exceeded our time today. Um, now we are moving towards the next part of the book where they will take us in deeper and show us, now they have isolated the problem. The veiling power which let, does not let us know that we are pure consciousness. Inside and outside does not let us know this world is God. Now how do you overcome that veiling power? There is a yogic way of doing it. 
by shutting down the body and mind in Nirvikalpa Samadhi. And there is an Advaitic way of doing it by, by distinguishing pure consciousness from the body-mind, knowing that this is a uniform. Let the uniform be on. There's no problem. Is it possible? What is this sadhana called? This sadhana is called vichara, viveka, the, the, the vichara marga. This is the royal road to Brahmagyana. All the Upanishads speak of this as the path to Brahmagyana. What about meditation? What about devotion? What about worship? All of them are introduced later on as supplements to this. And Maya, of course, is afraid of this path, so it obscures this path first. <laughs> and says, okay, you go and worship God, you meditate and you do this and you do that. Don't come here. If you come here, then Maya will project it as theory. Something to be done after this. Shankaracharya again and again does not tire of pointing out there is nothing to be done after this. Oh, your question. I'm taking time, I know. But there's a very important question. Who is the borrower? The answer was it's a, it's a teaching methodology. But you know, it's, it's not an uh, ordinary question. It's a very clear and profound question. When you listen to this long enough, if you have listened clearly, and if you have understood it, this question will come up. In the 13th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, in a long commentary by Shankaracharya, when he explains all this, exactly this thing what we have been talking about, the person to whom he is explaining it raises this question. Who is the Bharvatin? Who is the one seeking liberation? You are Brahman. Who is the one seeking liberation then? Who is the one struggling here then? Who is that? And Shankaracharya's answer, I leave you today with it. It's very, very humorous and very significant. He says, why do you ask? Why do you ask? He says, because I don't know. Then he says, you are the one who is seeking liberation. You said you don't know. <laughs> who is the one who is in ignorance? Shankaracharya says, why do you ask? I, don't, I ask because I don't know. I don't understand it. You are in ignorance. You have admitted it. Then this methodology is for you. If you go through this methodology, as Wittgenstein said, the whole purpose of philosophy is to show the fly the way out of the fly bottle. It's not to give a solution to the question, it's to dissolve the question itself, not to solve the question. That's what Advaita Vedanta does. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu